and welcome to the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. I'm your host, Barbara, and with me tonight is Steve Ward again. Uh, it's been a while since I've talked with Steve, but tonight we're going to talk about dogman, lycanthropy, wolfman, uh, all sorts of strange sightings in Great Britain and the United States, uh, recent research and we're also going to look back at linda godfrey who really i think is the one in america who brought dog man to everybody's consciousness how you doing steve i'm doing really good excellent excellent you have mothman looking over your shoulder making sure I, that you know i, I do That's you're right. full of I the strangeness so. there he is and so if i hold my head just right it looks like i've got two in town i know oh, no. that was the first thing i saw <laughs> when when you popped on, and I was like, what does he have on his head? <laughs> so I'm glad to know it's just Mothman, you know, creeping on you. No, it's just a two-dimensional Mothman. Well, excellent. So where do you want to start with this? Because you know more about Dogman and all of this stuff than I do. Well, I, I guess I'll just uh, uh, start with... Uh, uh, you know, I was, uh, I, I heard Linda Godfrey on, I think it was the Jeff Wren show. Uh, this is before, uh, I think around the time of her public, her first publication, The Beast of Bray Road. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if it had been out yet or whatever, but it's, I, I think it must have. But that's what uh, made me go and order the book and check it out. And, you know, she, and I'd heard a couple, I've heard a couple reports prior to that of something that uh, they weren't calling a dog man at that time. But other people had encountered something like that, so I became fascinated by it, and I read uh, I read her book, the uh, uh, the Beast of Bray Road, and uh, you know it gives a a basic recounting of the sightings of this upright canid in the Elkhorn, Wisconsin uh, area, especially along Bray Road, and uh, I have <clears throat> been out to Bray Road a couple times, and uh, it's only about four and a half miles long. And it was kind of hard to find, you know, it's kind of, it's a little bit east of Elkhorn and it's just, uh, it's pretty much, there's not much uh, uh, in the way of woods there or anything. It's pretty open. And, uh, and, and now <laughs> there's a guy who actually has a, a dog man carving in his front yard. That's more in more recent years, but people are stopping on the road all the time and taking pictures. So uh, it's, it's pretty cool. Now he hasn't, uh, he claimed he hasn't seen it himself. He's actually a little bit further down the road than, than actually people see it, but we can get into that later because that'll that'll uh, we'll pick up with uh, Lee Hample's farm, mm -hmm. who has had all kinds of activity there, and his farm is actually just a, a stone's throw from uh, uh, Bray Road. But uh, at my my first time meeting Linda was in uh, 2007. I went to Troy Taylor's Weird Winter event in uh, Decatur. No, let's see, yeah, Decatur, Illinois. And uh, it was uh, the the idea was to have the weird book authors there, uh, the two guys I can't remember their name that started the weird book uh, series from New Jersey I think were there. Linda was there because she had written uh, one on uh, on Michigan I think uh, she contributed to that, and uh, there was some other other weird authors there. A lot of people, about half the people that signed up, didn't show up because it was a pretty bad uh, there'd been a pretty bad snowstorm. But I trekked down from Michigan when I was living there at the time anyway. And uh, it was a really, uh, it was a good event. And I, what I remember is uh, uh, I was the one in the audience that asked her about updates about the Michigan dog man. She was talking about other things at the time. 
<clears throat> and uh, the, uh, the 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 gang from Ghostly Talk. Uh, they uh, I've been on their show a few times, and they 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 actually uh, lived a few suburbs from where I grew up, so we become good friends. But they were up in the uh, the balcony, and later on, they I heard heard about them talking about on their show. They were having uh, all kinds of weird activity going on. This is supposed to be a haunted theater that we were at. I don't remember the name of it, but uh, they were there was weird stuff going on up there in the balcony. Of course, I'm downstairs. I don't I didn't see anything. Didn't no nothing touched me. You know, nothing, nothing creepy happened. Never does. And, uh, and and later on, they had Linda Godfrey on, and they were talking to her, and she was wondering if it was something to do with her father because she said it was the anniversary of i can't remember if it was his passing or his birthday and she was wondering if she was going to get some kind of a message or sign from him so she wondered if that disturbance was anything to do with him trying to make contact so that was that was kind of cool but she was uh she signed my she her second book was out at that time called the uh honey the american werewolf mm -hmm. and uh uh so she uh kindly signed that for me and that's the first so i, I saw her several times after that at the Michigan Paracon, uh, the Van Meter Visitor Festival, and uh, <clears throat> there's this great picture. I had this shirt made up called Braved Bray Road because I actually, I did brave Bray Road. I, I parked in a, uh, I went to Elkhorn. You can't park on Bray Road. They won't, uh, they'll come and tow you away. They don't put up with that nonsense. So I parked in a, in a parking lot about half a mile away from the entrance of Bray Road, and I hiked it, and I went, uh, I only got about a and I was, I guess it was more like a, yeah, it was about a half mile there. And I only, I only went in about a mile and a half and then turned back. So the whole, whole ordeal was only four miles. But, uh, you know, my, my legs were, uh, I had my winter legs and I <laughs> hadn't been exercising much. So they were a little rubbery afterwards. But, uh, so that was kind of fun. It was a nice day. And of course, I didn't experience anything. But, uh, so I, I had this t shirt made up, Braved Bray Road. And there's this great picture of me standing next to her husband, Steve, and Linda at the Van Meter Visitor Festival <laughs> all together. And then uh, later on, I made a, a couple of these uh, posters that were uh, sort of tributes to the uh, the old UFO Report magazine. Mm -hmm. I called it UFO Review and uh, with a bunch of bogus articles. And uh, it's very colorful. And I, I uh, one is uh, uh, the theme is the Mothman Festival. And the other is the Van Meter Visitor Festival. And uh, so I have all, all kinds of names of friends are in there making up bogus articles and, and a lot of humor. I had uh, I had Chad Lewis and Kevin Nelson looking like men in black. And I had uh, Jolena, who was the librarian there. That the, the article was that she is the one that silenced the men in black rather than the other way around. So it, it, just a lot of <laughs> a lot of fun stuff like that. And a good friend of mine, uh, Brandy, she, uh, I made her an archaeologist, and she discovered giant skulls in Dubuque. So that was uh, <laughs> that was kind of funny too. Had these big purple skulls on there. But the the, the best was I took that picture of me, uh, Linda and Steve, and uh, I made it. I called it Bray Road Tours, and uh, you know, putting on the dog with Linda Godfrey. <laughs> and, of course, the idea was Steve would be the bus driver. I'd be the guy that would count the number of people that got off at Bray Road and get to come back on. And Linda, of course, was the tour guide. So I, it was like uh, dial 1-800-GER, you know. Anyway, it was, uh, it was just a lot of fun to do. And uh, I, I had a copy for her, but she uh, didn't, wasn't able to make that, that, uh, 
that one uh, um, Van Meter uh, 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 conference, and then one was shut down because of COVID, I think. So I never got in contact with her again. But uh, yeah, she was, uh, I just have really good memories of her. And uh, it, I might mention uh, <clears throat> that book, uh, Honey, the American Werewolf. There's a really interesting passage in there. Um, she was, uh, there's a book called Wisconsin Mounds, and it de deals with the effigy mounds in southern Wisconsin. And <clears throat> she had, uh, she was looking at that, and she had a cluster map of these dogman sightings in that one area of Wisconsin. And she noticed that the they were clustering around certain types of effigy mounds, and uh, most notably panther mounds and water spirit mounds. Hmm. Now, if you imagine a, a panther mound, it's very, very simple. You know, you got the, if you drew an outline of the animal uh, of a panther, you'd have the head a little bit for the ears and the, and the legs and so forth and a short tail. The water spirit mounds seem to be a little bit smaller, but what characterizes them were like a long, narrow tail. Hmm. And for some reason, she just seemed, she found that they were, these sightings were clustering around these effigy mounds. And, uh, you know, she hadn't really drawn any conclusions from that, but she thought it was, it was probably significant somehow. I think, uh, I think uh, if you go back, I think there's a, a tradition that the, uh, uh, something about, these dogmen or the or these these spirits or whatever uh guarding the mounds or whatever i'm not really well versed on that but uh so uh yeah that was that's what's what started me off was uh you know i i bought all her books since then and i haven't read all of them all the way through but i perused and i've heard, I've heard uh, some of them on audible and so forth and i've been able to talk to her at length about some of her ideas so uh yeah she really uh she really, you know, and it turned out that uh, you, I'm sure you're probably familiar with uh, Dogman Encounters Radio, mm -hmm. uh, Vic Cundiff, right? Uh, there's just a lot of people that once this was sort of out of the bag, people would say, well, you know what? Uh, 20 years ago, I saw something really weird. And it, it was almost like it was almost like uh, it began all right to have a Bigfoot encounter. But man, if you saw an upright canine along the road, you just kept your mouth shut, yeah, because that's just way, yeah. way over the way over the line. So, uh, and uh, another thing that uh, you know, I've uh, as you know, I uh, recently uh, uh, talked to Paul Sinclair. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I got to be on his uh, his, his two hour stream a couple of weeks ago, and then he agreed to be on on my show. And this guy is just just fascinating. I mean, you could you could actually just take a nap. And let him talk because he's just endlessly fascinating, and you don't have to, you know, keep the conversation going. He just does it, and uh, he talks a lot about. Uh, he, he's more comfortable with the term werewolf, I think, mm -hmm. and he talks a lot about the Flixton werewolf and and how far back it goes. He there's like encounters that go back apparently hundreds of years. So uh, whatever this thing is seems to be global, and uh, and Linda was getting uh, reports from all over the world after a while as well. But one thing that it seems to characterize this is the feeling of evil, uh, mm -hmm. feeling of negativity. And I, I haven't really heard that with uh, Bigfoot encounters and, and some other cryptid encounters. So there, there's something, you know, I, I mean, I, I tend to think as a, as a Keelian that perhaps a lot of these things are coming from the same soup, so, so to speak, mm -hmm. you know, just manifesting in different ways. But there, there seems to be some kind of a distinction. 
between uh, Dogman Encounters and some other cryptids. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, I like I like what you say when when you say, "Hey, yeah, uh, um, Bigfoot's okay." You know, um, in the 1970s, there was all these Bigfoot sightings, and and it got to be kind of okay to say that because lots of people were saying, "Well, then maybe there's." you know, an unknown ape running around in the woods in, in North America. That's okay, you know. <laughs> but, you know, as soon as the woo-woo people like me come in and go, you know, the there's an awful lot of descriptions of, of it. It's not all the same kind of look like a species would generally be. You know, that's kind of kind of strange. And And, you know, footprints that start in the middle of a mud puddle – in a muddy field and then walk for like three yards and then disappear again when it's uniformly muddy. That's pretty uh, suspicious to me. Um, but the boggle threshold for, for I guess normal people, not people like you and I is we are not having Wolfman in our backyard. We are not having that. That is not to be talked about. We're not gonna. We're not. You know, we'll we'll put up with Bigfoot, but we're not gonna talk about an upright canid, and yeah. uh, that's that's just that's just no. We're not gonna have it. So I find okay. that really interesting. That it seems that the boggle threshold for Dogman has has loosened a little bit. People are now going well. You know. Maybe there is something to it because so many people have seen it for so long. Right. It, it, it's taken a while. But, uh, and, and, you know, and so many of these encounters start out where they just thought it was a big mangy dog. Yeah. And then it stands up on two legs. I mean, that's just got to be freaky. Oh, know? yeah. Yeah. And, and then there's the, what, the bear wolf people have seen a couple times, something, some kind of a weird uh I think uh, Linda did a report on one. I think it was in Michigan. This thing came up. He called it a, I think a, uh, what was it? A, a uh, I, I think he called it a bear wolf or, or something. It, it had bear in the name. And it, it came and it stole a deer out of the back of his truck and walked away with it. And like and he's going to go argue about yeah, that. You know, yes, <laughs> it's yes. like, hey, hey, you know what? I can uh, shoot another deer. You know, I, I tagged that deer and I, it's it's mine. And, you know. <laughs> but, you know, I'm not going to argue with Mr. Bearwolf. Yeah, no. he had to have been awfully big to have combination of those yeah. two in his name. And, and where do these things come from? This big beast. I mean, it's an area that was somewhat rural, but not completely. It was a lot. It was a, it was a fish lake, I think. And, uh, uh, you know, it's just another one of these things where they show up and they disappear. Yeah. But they're, they're very physical. They, they interact with the environment. Yes. I mean, this thing grabbed a deer and, it, and you know, it wasn't seen again. So, uh, you know, uh, but uh, and even uh, in, a, in another one of Linda's books, I mean, to, just to compound uh, comp this thing further. It was, uh, let's see, 1994. Uh, the guy said he thought it was on uh, Route 81, Mike Moran. And he's driving along, uh, just a, a two-lane. You probably know this story. Oh, I remember he, his name. He, he, he sees the, uh, the light going through the woods. And he thinks it's got to be some crazy dude. This is night uh, on a, on a four-wheeler or whatever. 
and he, he's cruising along, and it's he's going to come up to the road, and there's a drop off of about eight or six or eight feet, and he's wondering how the heck he's going to get this ATV down that that uh, you know that dip, and uh, all of a sudden, now I don't, it, it's not clear if this thing was a ball, just a ball of light, or if this creature was glowing, because it was still kind of glowing when it came across the road, but he saw a dogman, an upright canid, uh, hit the road. Three steps, it was across the road, and then it was gone. So uh, we, we've heard a lot of stories uh, about uh, balls of light transforming into something. Uh, that goes kind of goes back to Paul Devereaux in uh, um, Earthlight Revelation, where he taught, he coined the term proto-entity, and he gives a lot of examples of uh, balls of light or, or, some, or, or something that looks like a craft or whatever, but then it morphs into the entity or whatever it's mm -hmm. like the, the the vehicle or or the the orb or whatever is inseparable from the the being somehow yeah and there's even a, a an old mothman encounter that's kind of like that from uh kent england almost uh three days to the uh uh the, the chase of uh, of the, the uh, uh mallets and scarberries down route 62 in november 15th it was three years before uh, in, in 63 and these kids were coming back from a dance and uh, they saw this this ball of light go down behind a grove of trees and then go out and then the light appeared again and then went out and then they saw this creature which was the closest thing to the the Point Pleasant Mothman I've ever heard of because it looked like it didn't have a head it had bat-like wings and it kind of shuffled along like the Mothman there's been so many other winged creatures or whatever that people want to dub Mothman. And I get I get very territorial sometimes. It's like, hey, that's not the Point Pleasant Mothman, damn it. You know, <laughs> I know what that is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The I think the guy in the pecan tree down in Texas comes close to the the winged man thing that a family sitting on a porch saw. No, okay. I but it didn't have the it it had a head. You know, it looked like a, okay. a man with wings, but he okay. was gray and and he was spooky, uh, obviously, because m people shouldn't have wings and be it, flying around. Uh, but I don't think he had the glowing eyes. I just no, think and, and he, this one didn't either. This, yeah. this one in Kent, England did not. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe he didn't need it because he just had been a ball of light. So, you know, <laughs> that's right. Um. It, one of the things that I really find fascinating about these upright um, canid beings is that almost every culture has a story about shape-shifting and humans shape-shifting into animals. And wolves are one of the most common ones. Right. And... <laughs> Psychologically, I wonder if that's because w humans have partnered with dogs so strongly. Like there are people, uh, archaeologists and anthropologists who say that, you know, humanity may not have ever really learned agriculture without dogs um, because we would have had no really good way to uh, – round up herds of domesticated animals right and you know because i mean people can run for a long time but you know dogs are way better at that oh sure and uh you know 
and and dogs came from wolves and we know that i think even you know even after we'd had dogs for you know quite some time before we started writing a lot of stuff down i'm sure everybody realized that those dogs originally were those wolves and humans were afraid of wolves now i want to know if if we were afraid of wolves because we lived closer to the outside you know at one time um and that's what made us afraid of them because you know zoologists will just tell you now that most wolves will never approach a human right they're they are more afraid of us than we are of them so where did this image this this fearsome beast this horrifying creature come from and i i find that interesting if it's maybe the dog is the is the the good canid and then the wolf is the shadow being just like humans have shadows right you know shadow sides maybe that's the shadow side of a dog yeah i yeah i don't know i was uh, i was fascinated by that when i was a kid i actually one of the few times i went to to the library to do research <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I got the Encyclopedia Britannica out and to learn about werewolves. And uh, it talked about how, uh, you know, sometimes people would wear some kind of a belt or garment. Mm-hmm. To, and, and sometimes they would use some kind of magical herbs or whatever. Uh, wasn't quite the Lon Chaney uh, werewolf. Right. But, you know, the now, for the most part, when people are talking about these, these dogman creatures, they're not talking about transformation. But... Linda has a couple every once in a while. She's got a, a story in there about somebody that claims to have seen a transformation. Now, that's one of those areas where I kind of hit a wall. And I, yeah. I, get, uh, I, I'm kind of like the, uh, the people that hit a wall with John Keel or, or some of the one things yeah. that I accept, you know. And I think, well, maybe, maybe I'm uh, not being open enough, but that's, that's a real tough one mm-hmm. to accept a, uh, a physical transformation. Of course, we have the the lore of the skinwalker, which is is supposed to do that. And you wonder if that's uh, if it's if it's a a physical transformation or if it's more of a projection of something. I, I mm-hmm. don't know. But I yeah I don't know. Uh, that's a, that's a good point. I don't know why. Uh, you know. Uh, I guess there were other animals that uh, uh, they they believe people could uh, oh, change yeah. into. Yeah. yeah. But uh, but yeah, the wolf seemed to be the uh, the, the prominent one, the, the one big of the most bad. fearsome. Yeah. Yeah. It, <laughs> um, I, I don't necessarily, well, okay. So you, you went to the library to research werewolves. I did the same thing. Yeah. And uh, I was fascinated. What does that say about us? I know. It says <laughs> that we're weird, really weird. Uh, <laughs> but I remember reading about the, the disease of lycanthropy. Oh yes. Where it's a mental disease where you believe that you have become a beast, usually a wolf. And I thought that was so fascinating. And there are cases of men who would do these rituals like a belt. You had a, an enchanted belt and you put it on. It was made of wolf skin and then you could turn into a wolf. But there are cases of uh, men who had lycanthropy or believed they had done these rituals correctly 
and they would go out and kill other people and and some of them were cannibals and this is this is all written up in european history so i'm so excited that i learned about this i was spending the weekend with my grandparents and we sit down to lunch and grandma made three hot meals a day so she she was she was busy all the time but you know we sit down and i said grandpa guess what i learned about and he said what and i said did you know there's a disease called lycanthropy? And then da 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 I started talking about how they, you know, attack people and there are these woodcut illustrations <laughs> and I described them. And he was he just looked at me and he went, Can this this is not something to talk about while we eat? And I said, Why? And he's just just no. And it's not like he was squeamish, he was a farmer. It, it, you know. <laughs> I, I helped him butcher animals, so I was kind of like, well, what's wrong with him? And then I, I said, do you want to hear about digestion. porphyria? <laughs> and he said, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's there's another disease. Uh, there was a case in, uh, oh, England. I can't, can't pull out the details, but uh, that there's some kind of an ailment where people grow all kinds of hair on their face. I mm -hmm. can't remember what it's called. Yeah. It's, and uh, it's they a, think that some of those, that some people were kind of locked away and seen every once in a while, and that would give rise to the belief of a local werewolf of, mm -hmm. some, of some type. Yeah, that's a genetic disorder. And, right, uh, right. I think it was the king of Spain had a uh, person in his retinue who, who was afflicted with that. It was a woman. And, you know, there are portraits painted of her with this long hair on her face and hands, but she's wearing the, the really beautiful court gown. And, and he yeah. got for her a, a good marriage. Actually, it was the queen who did that. But, yeah, it, it was a thing. And so people, people would see that and, and think that that was a, a werewolf. But as you said, Paul Sinclair was talking about a tradition in England of people having seen these these upright canids going back hundreds of years, hundreds of years. Right. And, and he's got this great documentary called Wolflands. And I, I should say that uh, he has uh, uh, four books out called Truth Proof, The Truth That Leaves No Proof, four volumes, and, and one called uh, Night People, I believe, which is autobiographical. And uh, I'm, I tell people... Uh, avoid Amazon, U.S. and U.K. They've gone to third-party pirates. I, I'm fine with capitalism, but man, these guys are gouging people yeah. to death. If you go, you can. Uh, I don't have the uh, the actual website, but if you Google Paul Sinclair Books U.K., uh, I think you'll find where you can buy his books direct from the U.K. Uh, the the shipping might be a little pricey, but the the price of the books are going to be reasonable. And uh, I've I've ordered. Uh, the uh, fourth truth proof and the uh, night people because it wasn't didn't show it uh, available in anything other than uh, Kindle here and I'd love to have the book in my hands so those are on the way and I've also ordered a hard copy of the Wolflands documentary but you can stream that for, for just a, a few bucks on Amazon US or Amazon UK and uh, it's uh, it's absolutely I told Paul how well it was done. Uh, the the production values are amazing. Uh, the editing, the the music composed for it, 
and, and the way the narrative unfolds. He uh, interviews several people that have had encounters with this beast, whatever it is. Uh, and again, Paul's more comfortable with calling it a werewolf. And uh, <clears throat> uh, he, he, he takes you around to these people and he jumps back and forth to the different witnesses. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's with the purpose of showing the the patterns that are there, the similarities. And when you see these people talk about their experiences, they are terrified. Mm -hmm. These are these are very sincere people, and it, it's it's just so well done. It's so atmospheric. Uh, it, it's it's like kind of like watching a a horror movie, you know, a well done horror movie. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's based on something real, and I, I heartily recommend people watch it or or order it. To, and uh, it's just uh, again just amazingly well put together. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's a good writer. Uh, I've read Truth Proof up to three and The Night People. I was dumb and read The Night People first. It was super creepy. Um, oh. And and it, it boy, was it creepy. Uh, <laughs> um, so, you know, I was I, I took notes in it for for my research and. You know, I, I was just kind of like, oh, my God, I'm afraid of the other ones. But they're much less. I mean, they're still fascinating. They're about right. his uh, encounters and investigations of UFOs in um, Yorkshire and the surrounding areas up in the north of England. But it isn't as scary. I mean, yeah, there's a couple of times when you, when it's scary and you're like, oh, well, OK, yeah. Maybe I shouldn't have read this at night. I'm dumb. <laughs> but <laughs> well, he talks about the Flixton werewolf. He talks about large black panthers. Uh, he's chronicled and even photographed a lot of strange lights, orbs on the land and out to sea. Uh, and, and these are not, uh, you know, uh, uh, lanterns, Chinese lanterns mm -mm. Or, uh, or, or flares or anything like that. And it just it's just really well told. I mean, you feel like you're you're there with him on the cliffs, yeah. experiencing this, you know. Yeah. And, and then he, he in in his books he uh, he uh, he has just a very nice approach with people, and he's made all kinds of inroads. Uh, he can go to some of these uh, 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 captains that run boats, mm -hmm. and the, he can look at their logs, you know, and 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 uh, see what they've gone out to uh, perform a rescue or whatever. Uh, and he talks about missing people. A lot of it is like uh, oh, shades yeah. of David Politis, missing four one one, and it's a, this is North and East Yorkshire, and uh, you know concentrated in a, a relatively small area, but in incredibly active. And uh, you know he's just uh, he just has such a great way with him with himself. He's just uh, mm -hmm. such a, a down to earth guy. Yeah, and uh, it, it just very very credible. Oh yeah, I I think so too, and there are lights on and in the water too, and under the water. Well, he, it talks about a, a like a triangle, yeah, with, with the light at each corner just under the water. Yeah, and that and he says is so creepy. <laughs> uh, yes, and he says in in one one case there were some kind of UFOs or whatever plunging into the water, but it, it was so shallow there, even at high tide, it didn't make any sense. You know, where mm -hmm. were they going? You know? Right. Why did they um, disappear? It's not that right. far down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I I really like his books. And and he there are also lots of other weird, you know, there's some strange humanoids and and just all kinds of stuff happening. Um and, and it's and, uh, and animal it, mutilations. Oh yes. There sheep a lot. A lot of sheep right. mutilations. And, and, and some seem to be 
surgical. You know, mm-hmm. they, they, people want to blame it on these large black panthers, but it doesn't always make sense. And and oftentimes, just like uh, other sometimes Bigfoot reports where animals are slaughtered, chickens mm-hmm. or whatever, they're not eaten. They're just slaughtered. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It, it's it's like like Keel when he talked about, uh, uh, you know, these things sort of coming into existence, sort of acting like animals while they're here and then melting away. Yeah. Yeah. Like they are physical for a very short period of time. Right. And they leave physical traces, but then they just, the traces just end, the, the, the footprints end, the, you know, it doesn't make sense. The the yeah. animal, you know, disappearances or, or mutilations stop. Right. And, and yeah, it's, it's disturbing. All of it's very it, disturbing. And, and Paul's very open. I mean, he, a lot of times he'll question, you know, how can this be a, a physical animal? You know, why... We, we, because it, it kind of disappears, it goes away. Are we dealing with something, a, another type of reality that we step into or whatever? So he's always asking these questions and trying to deal with the uh, the reality of, of the way these things exist and manifest. Yeah, yeah. It's, he's a very, very thorough researcher. And you're right. I like the way that he writes because it's very immediate. So you can yes. you can feel and and see his descriptive ability is very strong. Um, I really really enjoy his work. So eventually, I'm going to have to have him on the on the podcast. Yeah, you'll you'll uh, like I say, you, you can probably go just take a nap and listen to it later <laughs> because he's he's just so good. You know, you, you you don't have to prompt him. You know, I, I had. I wanted to stop every once in a while because I had a question, but uh, and oh, and there's so there's a uh, it just so many. He had this uh, this one incident. I won't go into it too much. I want people to uh, listen to him tell it or read the book. But in the first book, remember, he has that weird. He and his wife encounter that weird man. Yep, that was dude. On the bicycle. Yep. Yes. Yep. Yes. He said, "You're bringing down the light. Yep. You're 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 angering people or whatever." And so I, I got Paul to tell that story toward the end of the of the interview, and I said, "Well, and, and this guy was so weird," and uh, and I said, "Well, Paul, you are bringing down the light, and you're making a lot of people angry, you know, officialdom, and even the average person that doesn't want to deal with this." Yeah. So it's kind of funny that this whoever this dude was, he was right on the mark because that's what Paul has been doing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I will definitely have him tell that story because that was what I was thinking of when when I said the strange humanoids or wh- oh, whatever's, yeah. you know. Uh, Although yeah. he did have the experience with his cousin and the dude at the rock when he was a kid and that was see so creepy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and then there was a, a classic man in black encounter with uh I don't remember the guy's name but a friend and colleague of his. The guy had seen some kind of a UFO or light and these dudes came to the door with with no eyebrows and dressed like classic men in black telling him he's got to stop his research and i'm thinking you know every once in a while you come across uh uh, uh you know who linda sigmund is mm-hmm. uh, she, yeah okay uh, a more uh, she came forward more recently with her a mothman sighting mm-hmm. from uh well it was april of 67 mm-hmm. i think she said she was about 16 and she and her boyfriend were sitting on the front of a the hood of a car watching the stars they saw this orb show up and then they saw another one he decided to, I'm, I'm really abbreviating this he, he he wanted to get the heck out of there and they're driving away and she's she's looking out the out the window and she sees this mothman like creature next to one of these lights 
And uh, uh, the, the thing is that and she even had missing time. Mm-hmm. But the, the sort of the postscript to all this was the beginning of December, the same December of 67, when the bridge collapsed in, in 2015. Uh, and that's coming up. The anniversary is coming up in a few days. Yeah. Uh, that's just taping. Uh, she was uh, downtown Point Pleasant, and she saw this strange man standing outside a building. And he was in classic, you know, fedora, black clothes. And as she got closer, she noticed his skin was had a weird pallor, had a weird coloring. And he was wearing sunglasses at night. And then she looked down the street, and there was another one of these guys leaning up against yeah. a light pole. And I think, you know, it was – and I said, when did you – when did this click as to what this was? And it was, wasn't until she read The Mothman Prophecies by John Keel sometime later that she thought, oh, my God, that's what I experienced. Yeah. So it, it, it's weird because we tend to want to try to explain these as, you know, just government types or – just some creep that was hanging out, you know, and, and, and causing trouble. But man, you know, you, you get into some of these uh, encounters and there, there's something just totally bizarre there that's uh, that's almost incomprehensible. Yeah. Yeah. The 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 unearthly pallor, the lack of eyebrows, um, kind of weirdly plastic looking skin, like really artificially smooth looking you know because you guys you don't like you know fix your pores and stuff you just you just <laughs> wash your face and you go you're right and i do the same thing but you know most men don't have that perfectly smooth skin you know right and and that is something that i would notice Immediately. I mean, they all have that kind of uncanny valley look. It's like, well, they're, they're, they're like a guy. They look like a guy. They look like a, and then they get too close and then you go, wait a minute. Yeah, something. And, and then the, the uh, sometimes the, the movements, the, uh, mm-hmm. the way that they just can't. Uh, and uh, you know, I even wondered, I, I think uh, due to some of uh, Nick Redford's research, I wondered if some of these, these characters were actually sent out by a faction of the government to behave in strange ways, to kind of throw people off. I mean, the government does all kinds of bizarre uh, uh, tests and and, uh, yeah. and and schemes that they eventually forget about or whatever. But I just wonder if they sent out maybe hundreds of these clowns to act weird and, and, and you know, figuring that some of them would be picked up into the lore. But that doesn't explain everything. No, it doesn't. That, it that, doesn't. That case is true. So, have there been any kind of Men in Black encounters that go with Dogman sightings or Wolfman sightings? Um, boy, that's a good question. I, I not that I know of. They seem to uh, have shown up with uh, some of the Bigfoot reports. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at the, you know, Stan Gordon, uh, Silent Invasion, there were uh, uh, men that uh, showed up, uh, seeming to, to destroy evidence, and to there was that crazy case where the guy. Uh, uh, took a shot. Uh, uh, it, it, he didn't actually shoot them. He was uh, used tracer uh, mm-hmm. uh, shells uh, over the these bizarre-looking Bigfoots after seeing this strange craft seemingly to land, and uh, it, it was so crazy. The the uh, the local uh, uh, state a state cop actually saw one of them in the dark, and uh, later on, Stan and his team came out. This guy had a weird spell and collapsed, 
and uh, he was growling and everything. His yeah, father he, thought like the, he was the Bigfoot was possessing him or something. But he had a he had a, a vision of a, of a man in a cloak and had all kinds of uh, uh, had all kinds of predictions. But he didn't remember any of it. I mean, it's it's just more complicated than that. But you had uh, strange lights. You had these Bigfoot creatures that that seemed to to vanish. But then afterwards, uh, they, uh, Stan and his team wanted to put him under hypnosis, and they thought. Well, with that weird spell he had, maybe we better just leave it alone for a while. And I think it was as much as two years later, they came to him and they said, uh, would you mind if we put you under hypnosis during that? And he said, what do you mean? You guys came back two weeks later. Mm-hmm. And a, a man dressed like an a, a Air Force officer and a man in plain clothes implied, apparently, that it was Stan's team. Mm-hmm. And they put him under hypnosis, said, we'll get back to you. Of course, they didn't. And he said they even showed him this this uh, portfolio with uh, photographs of Bigfoot-like creatures and UFOs, at least this is what he claimed, and wanted to know if what he saw looked like any of these pictures. So, I, you know, I don't know what to make of that, but that's sort of your, you know, Keel talked about uh, uh, the, the man in black as a generic term, not necessarily, you know, in dressed in the, the black garb or right. whatever. But, uh, um, so, yeah, this is... Uh, well, that's a good question. I wouldn't be surprised if there there have been some. But, you know, there was that uh, uh, weird case in the, uh, that Linda talks about in the beginning of the Beast of Bray Road, where I think it's Lori Andresi was one of the original witnesses that brought it to Linda's attention. And then she was, uh, she was writing for The Week, which is a little local newspaper. And she went to the local sheriff and found out he had a, a file that said a werewolf because he'd been getting these, these reports. But she was talking to uh, uh, John uh, Andres. No, John, uh, I can't think of his last name. But he was the, the animal control officer. And she thought, uh, she had the impression that this thing was very negative or whatever. He was skeptical about the whole thing, but they were talking about, they started talking about the possibility of some kind of cult being involved. And then all of a sudden, several books flew out of the shelf in the office, and nobody had slammed the door or anything like that. So, you know, here you're just talking about it. I mean, how many times have we heard uh, things about uh, poltergeist phenomena or something? I mean, uh, how many people that saw the Mothman? had an outbreak of poltergeist phenomena mm-hmm. afterwards. And how do we reconcile this as a flesh and blood unknown creature, you know? So yeah. uh, it just it just seems like uh, you, you drop the, the pebble in the water and these the uh, the rings go out and they just uh, they just keep going and they touch all kinds of different things. It's just not uh, it nothing is static. Yeah. You know, it's it's uh, it, it just there's so many uh, uh, now, and, and when you mentioned uh, you know footprints appearing out of, in the middle of nowhere, that brings me back to Lee Hampel. Now, Lee Hampel has a farm. He uh, he was a uh, uh, well a degrees in mathematics and chemistry. He taught mathematics for decades in Illinois, and this guy's a scientist. <clears throat> so he uh, he uh, got this farm over ten years ago. And uh, he's uh, uh, making hay. <laughs> Sounds funny. But uh, he's, uh, you know, enjoying his retirement and making a little money and, and keeping busy. And uh, some uh, some of his neighbors said, you know, uh, there's a werewolf that lives in those woods back there. <laughs> and he's looking at him like, what are you talking about? And then several credible people were telling him what they had seen. And then one night 
he saw it. He saw it in the, in the dark, and it re- later on he realized he was missing about an hour of time. Oh. So he started setting up track cameras. He's got thousands of photographs. I've, <clears throat> I've been able to speak at the Beast of Bray Road conference a couple times. And what, what they do is people that, that go to that, they uh, Lee Hample will have them over to his farm uh, for just for a small fee. And for two hours, he'll show you photographs he's taken with trap cameras and, and all the bizarre things that are going on. So you you have, uh, I mean, he's got these footprints in one case in the snow. They start in the middle of nowhere and then they split off almost like this thing divided like a like an amoeba into two of them. Or, or maybe his buddy was on his shoulders, you know, when they manifested. <laughs> but it's <laughs> I uh and then they disappear, um, uh, and they're five toes, oh. uh, five toes, a pad, and a heel. And he says when he looks at these tracks, he thinks there's maybe four or five different creatures because they're not all exactly the same. And uh, whenever he tries to, I mean, he leaves, these things act like animals. They eat bait. They eat roadkill. Uh, he sets up cameras with the bait, and <clears throat> the cameras don't function. For the most part, when they're there, he's gotten like, I think he's actually gotten some pictures of them. He keeps a lot of these things close to his vest. And uh, there are some where you can see part of like the ear or whatever. I guess it could be Scooby-Doo or something, but I don't think so. (laughs) But he's got some, but then he's got, there's some kind of technology or something going on. There's like, there's drones in the sky. There's things that, that, that look like they might be a portal, some kind of energy ball or whatever. Uh, there, there just, there are things that are almost incomprehensible when you, uh, there was this one image where you see something that looks like a black snake sort of suspended in the sky, but it's just, or, or a cord or something. And then he moves the over to the other part of the picture. And there is a kind of a boxy looking thing with, with balls on it or wheels or something kind of suspended in the air. And you're trying to make, make sense of this. Um, it, it, there, there is something something bizarre going on. I don't know if it's a place where the air is thin, so to speak, or if it's a grand central station between dimensions. Uh, he had another another uh, uh, photograph of a classic flying saucer, a black flying saucer, zipping around a tree. You can tell by the timestamp, but it was just like a matter of a, a few seconds, and it just like it appears, zips around, and it's gone. Uh, he has had. Uh, uh, now he was a, <clears throat> he's let me use uh, some of his uh, uh, images he he, uh, he put some of them on coast to coast am and he uh, he gave me he was on my show and he, he liked the way it went so he, he allowed me to use some of his photographs and presentations but uh, the ones I don't have is uh, he's had several roadkill deer uh, because of the highway he's on well he's pulled them on his property he sets up a trap camera and it's night, and you can see a mist show up and with the timestamp, and, the, and then the carcass is gone. No drag marks, no footprints. And this has happened maybe a dozen times. Uh, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's just mind-blowing. And so, you know, I wonder what... Uh, I've tried to speculate as to what's going on. Is there really some kind of other intelligence there? Are they, uh, you know, if we think about uh, uh, tulpas and uh, monsters from the id and, and all that sort of thing, you know, I wonder, do these things create these constructs, these temporal beings 
Maybe they don't just happen. And it's they're, they're supposed to scare people away, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, if, if that's their, if that wild speculation is correct, they might be all wet because people are, are flocking there to see these things. So they're not really scaring people yeah. away. They're attracting them. But, uh, you know, it just can't. Uh, it's so hard to wrap my head around. Now, and, and then... Uh, I don't know if you know the Bucks County guys. Uh, Eric Mintel investigates. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> okay. Uh, they were out there a couple of years ago, uh, along with uh, Ellen Collins, and uh, it was Eric Mintel and Dominic Saitel. Dominic is their sensitive. And uh, they were out there and uh, at night, and they, <laughs> they start to hear this howling. You know, they've got it on, uh, on their YouTube video. You hear this howling off to one side and then a howling over here. Creepy as hell. Now, I wouldn't be able to tell you an animal howl from a marsupial. You know, I just wouldn't be able to do it. So, <clears throat> but they were seeing eyes shine about six feet off the ground. Mm. They also, prior to that, they actually saw a, a light in the sky they thought was a satellite. And then it all of a sudden zipped across the sky. And then a mist started to form. And the mists have... Uh, there, was, there was a photograph of Lee Hample in the daylight. There's a mist surrounding him on the on the picture, but he didn't see it when he was there. So, you know, mist around that place. It could have been just basic atmospheric conditions. You know, it had, had rained earlier in the general area, so maybe that was it. But they were really getting freaked out. And even, even Eric, who usually doesn't, these things don't bother him. So I asked Dominic on my show, I said, Dominic, what were you feeling like out there being the, the sensitive? And he said, I felt like I was in a shark tank underwater holding the bait. A- and they decided they were going to get out of there. They just they had enough and they weren't there very long. So and, and the ironic thing is a week later, they're in the Pine Barrens or like five miles deep into the Pine Barrens with a couple of seasoned Bigfoot researchers. And they're hearing things like whoops and, and knocking and all that sort of thing. And Dominic felt like it was a day at the beach. He wasn't, wasn't, wasn't freaking out at all. He was just very calm. There was something about that experience that really, really, and they could hear things moving in the corn. You yeah. Know? That, so, well, corn's uh, creepy anyway. Yeah, that's right. Stephen King I mean, ruined corn for everybody. Uh, uh, yes, uh, that's right. Uh, uh, but yeah, I now does Lee have problems with like poltergeist stuff on his farm or in his house? Now that's that's a good question. I oh well, um, when when we were there, the cars were parked there. A friend of mine's car lights started to flash. Mm. You know, like if you yeah. And even uh, when she went to a, a motel that night, she said they were still it was, it was flashing into the, the window. You know, it was one of these motels where the door is right there. The, the, the car was still, the, light, uh, the lights were still flashing. And that happens to a lot of cars in that area. So I haven't heard of anything like poltergeist phenomena in his house. But he had had another, uh, another uh, issue with missing time at another time. And uh, he's seen this thing two or three times. And he even got a photograph of it from a distance. I mean, you can see it at, at arm's length. It doesn't look very high. But he has some kind of a program that would tell you how tall this thing was. And it was six feet tall. And you could see it. At some, sometimes it was hunkered down on, on all fours. And sometimes it was standing on two. This is in broad daylight. So uh, there, there's something truly bizarre going on there. But it's a, what I can't wrap my head around is this this, this incredible conjunction with uh 
apparently some kind of technology uh, guided by, and, and there's some kind of an intelligence there that is helping to cloak and hide these things from the cameras. Yeah. And, and when and, and, and Eric said when they were out there that night, the cameras completely failed. Didn't take any pictures of them when they were out there. Yeah. Yeah, they've had problems with that out at Skinwalker Ranch, too. Right. Uh, yeah, that, you know, cameras, they'll place cameras and, and stick them down with duct tape and electrical tape and all kinds of stuff, and it'll get ripped off way up, you know, 20 feet up a pole that has, it's slippery and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And I, I mean, there's a part of me is like, dudes, it's going to not let you take pictures. It's just not, right. it's not gonna. Now, you should keep trying, but don't be surprised <laughs> that you don't ever get a picture. That's that classic case that uh, I, I remember uh, listening to uh, Colm Kelleher and George Knapp on, on the uh, Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell years ago, when uh, before the, even the, uh, the book, The Hunt for the Skinwalker was written. And we get these tantalizing uh, stories about what was going on out there. And that was when they had uh, something like four or five cameras way up on the poles aimed in an area that was uh, a lot of, had a lot of activity. And one camera stayed operating, as I remember. And they went back to look at that footage and they could see some of the, the like the red dot on some of the other cameras. And the, they could see when the red dot went out. Mm -hmm. when, but they couldn't couldn't uh, get the resolution to see that they, that they had. And it wasn't just a, an internal mechanical failure or electrical failure. The, like you say, the the uh, uh, the cables were ripped out. Yeah, physically ripped. Yeah, out. violently. That's that's yes. one of the things that that struck me about it is that it was not just disconnected, or the battery taken out, or the battery drained. No, it was tor They were torn up. You know, the the the, the whatever they used to adhere it to the pole would get ripped apart and then pieces of the camera itself would be torn. And so, and, and yeah, that's, that's also an intimidation tactic. That suggests a direct uh, intelligence of consciousness that knows exactly what's going on. And they, they took a direct route to stop it. Yeah. Yeah. Took a very direct route and you know, again, that's an intimidation tactic. It also worked to terrorize the humans who it apparently thought of as as its enemy. Right. Whatever it is. Well, well remember the the uh, the incident where uh, I guess this is again before uh, I think Bigelow still had a presence there, and it was before it might have even been before Bigelow purchased the ranch, but because some of this had gotten out in the newspaper. And there was a guy that uh, made a pilgrimage there because he he felt at one with the ranch and he wanted to meditate. And so Sherman, the father and the son, kind of looked at each other and said, oh, okay, have at it, you know. So he goes out there in the field and he starts to meditate. And they see this thing that, uh, like a blur. And, and later on they said it, it looked like the Predator effect mm -hmm. from the film Predator. And that there's something... They couldn't really focus on it very well, but it came out and it was like it was angry at what this guy was doing. And all this guy is, is doing is, is meditating, thinking good thoughts, but whatever this was didn't like it. And it freaked this guy out and he couldn't wait to get off the property. But, you know, what the heck is that all about? My guess, 
is that whatever it is 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 based not in carbon. In other words, it's not always solid. It's probably energy, and it probably could sense that he was doing something that changed the energy of its environment, and it was having none of that. <laughs> it was like, oh no, how dare you? This is mine. How dare you think lofty thoughts? Yes, this is mine. You don't man. get to come here and and mess with my stuff without my permission. You didn't even ask. You know, so I'm going to run you off. Not, I'm not saying I would go and ask permission and be able to, you know, sit and meditate. I wouldn't even think that that was a great idea. But there are some non-corporeal beings that are very, very territorial, like wolves and dogs. Just saying. And the, uh, according to some of the reports, I mean, you don't know how, how reliable some of them are. People have seen orbs of light manifest into wolves there and uh of course there was the uh, story in the beginning of the hunt the skinwalker big, the big with that uh beast that attacked a uh some of their livestock and they kept firing at it it wasn't you know it wasn't causing any problems and it just walked away and of course the the prince ended in the in the swamp somewhere yeah yeah um, i mean they shot a piece of its flesh off but it didn't yep. like stay <laughs> Yeah. See, that's that's the part where I'm like, okay, it's time to go now. I don't care that we just bought this. We're not staying here tonight. Nope. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. Another thing about the, the dog man, I, a, a few years ago, I was at a Michigan MUFON meeting, and a gentleman that was a retired uh, Wayne State University professor talked about his research in Michigan to into uh, Bigfoot and UFOs. And he sounded a lot like uh, Jack, I think it's Jack Lapsaridis that wrote uh, Psychic Bigfoot and the Sasquatch people or whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is, was some pretty wild stuff, but he's a really down-to-earth guy. But the thing that caught my attention was he said, you know, we keep finding these large dog-like footprints in these high strangeness areas. And I thought, well, where have I heard that before? Well, it turned out I heard it in the Mothman Prophecy. Yep. Uh, John Keel talks about, the, in, in other articles, he talks about uh, dog-like footprints around the uh, uh, the old North Power Plant, and also where Tad Jones saw that bizarre retro UFO with the propeller on the bottom. Yep, near, and the, uh, Cross Village and the the weird yeah Cross Lanes, the weird right. guy That's beside right. it with the weird shoe soles. Yeah, you know yeah. it's funny. The last time I read that. I looked up the name of the man who had first investigated it before Keel got there. He worked at the same place my dad worked up at Union Carbide's tech center. So yeah. my dad knew the guy. And I thought about it, and I was like, you know, that's that's the guy that, that my dad said was like really down-to-earth and sensible and and not prone to flights of fancy and he was the, he was also the only guy that my dad would say hey you know have you seen the weird lights over the other side of the valley because my dad used to stand outside during lunch he worked overnight so lunch was you know deep dark right and you know he'd tell him about the weird lights that he was watching and sometimes they'd watch together but yeah that was it, I never have forgotten that there were those giant dog prints in cross lanes. And then remember, he consulted with Ivan Sanderson 
And Ivor Sanders said, yeah, we keep finding them. And you, you wish there was a, a whole chapter devoted to that, or at least a couple pages. Yeah. But that's where it ends. You yeah. Know? So I, I asked Linda Godfrey about it, and she said yes. And uh, the one thing she did say, you said, you have to be really careful these days because there are people out there faking dogman footprints. You know, you have to be... You'd be careful you're not taken in. But here you have four researchers separated by half a century, all telling us that we're finding these large dog-like footprints, whether we're actually seeing the culprit or not, in, in these high strangers areas. So it's something that uh, is connected to all this and uh, and has been with us for quite some time. Yeah, yeah. And it's. I do also think that it's interesting that dogs tend to be afraid of Bigfoot. You know, I, the one when we had the the howling whatever it was in the woods that sounded like Bigfoot, uh, almost twenty years ago when we lived in another part of Ohio, our dogs were terrified. They and they were not afraid of anything. You know, they were they were big and and strong and generally not. Well, okay, Nanika was afraid of people except for us, but. The other one feared nothing, and they hunkered down and, and just basically tried to hide. So, you know, of course, I had to go out and bring them in. Um, but, yeah, dogs generally either start barking crazily when there's some kind of Bigfoot activity or they're terrified. And then there's cases with Bigfoot eating dogs or yes, Mothman right. or something or UFOs. Right. So, although in, in some cases I've heard where all of a sudden the dogs get very quiet, yeah, when when, when some bizarre stuff is going on. Um, so you, you, but but the either way, I mean that's still uh, it's, people need to uh, pay attention to the 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 responses of animals when these things are going on because that's just another validation that there there's some kind of uh, paranormal phenomena or something unexplained going on. Yeah. Oh, I just got a book by Linda Zimmerman um, called um, Animal Reactions to UFOs. Oh. It's a very small book. Um, she, it's a, it's, but it's, it basically is sort of a starter to get your ideas running in the direction of uh, how different animals have responded to UFO um, sightings or experiences and and she's really interesting because she says you know animals are the perfect ufo witnesses because they don't hallucinate the way people do they don't lie you know right. so there's there's no confabulation happening you know they're they're essentially honest and they have stronger senses than we do so you know they can hear things above and below our ability to hear things they can see things in slightly different lighting conditions um and they they can um apparently feel vibrations better than we can so i thought that was really interesting and that's you know i'm about halfway through it right now yeah i didn't know uh, i'm familiar with some of her other books uh she was on the, uh, my show a while back and, uh, you know, of course, the Hudson Valley sightings yeah, was her, yeah. uh, her specialty. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, and a lot of the sightings in this book are from New York, but she has plenty of others from elsewhere. And she even has this one kind of odd sighting. There's a man 
who uh, worked a toll booth on a bridge on the night shift and is very boring. And so there were, you know, wild rabbits that, you know, lived off at the side of the road in the grass and they'd come out and eat. And, you know, he took to throwing them vegetables just to have something to watch, you know, so they'd, you know, eat the, the vegetables. And uh, one night he went to throw them their vegetables and they were laying in the grass, stretched out, and they were completely motionless. And he was shocked. He thought somebody had killed them or, you know, why they would all die in the same, you know, general area and stretched out like that was also disturbing. So he came out of his toll booth and there he noticed a UFO. He noticed a light, a big light in the sky. And he realized he couldn't move until it flew past it flew over him and and left and he could move and then the rabbits started you know getting up and moving around again but then they they were freaked out they wouldn't you know he tried to give them their vegetables and they were like no way man <laughs> we're done with this we're gonna go home and uh i thought that was really an interesting one is that i know that there are a couple of other um ufo cases with uh, wildlife that you know that has something happen strangely right but you know more than one wildlife member so you have a whole family of rabbits that's that's really interesting yeah so i don't have there been have you have you noticed or thought that there's been an uptick in dogman sightings or wolfman sightings or does it just uh, seem that way I, I think it, it seems that way because uh, uh, the floodgates have finally opened people can finally talk about these things and uh, you know especially I haven't listened to uh, uh, Vic Cundiff on uh, dogman encounters radio for a while but, uh, you know, he, he does get recent sightings, but every once in a while, he'll get the, the ones that go back a couple decades or more. And it's something that they haven't told anybody because they're just so bizarre. So I, and I think that the same thing might be true. You know, the, the uh, I think even John Keel thought the, the flap idea was kind of an illusion. It just kind of depended on what uh, people were reporting and so forth. And as you know, the, the mainstream media will, you know, once in a while, the report on a, on a on a Stevensville or Phoenix Lights or O'Hare Airport or whatever. But uh, I, uh, for years, I subscribed to the uh, UFO news clipping service, at least, you know, now and then. And I inherited a bunch of old ones from the 60s one time from a guy that got out of it. <clears throat> and uh, the thing you find out there is that these things are going on all the time. It's just that they seldom get beyond the local newspaper or, mm -hmm. or just at the local area that reported. So I'm not, you know, I, I uh, people, people do seem to have chronicled, uh, you know, there seem to be certain months, certain days of the week that uh, where these things do seem to, to tick up. And uh, I found the uh, research of uh, a man named Ahmad Jamaluddin that mm -hmm. wrote, uh, you know, the, you know, the 60, 60 years of suppressed evidence, the humanoid reports. Mm -hmm. And uh, he took, uh, Albert Rosales's database, and of course Albert Rosales has uh, 
an amazing database of humanoid reports oh, and, yeah. and and others amongst us <clears throat> from oh, 1 AD. Yeah. And uh, and he's got uh, about 15 books out. Uh, it, it's probably due for another one. I can't wait for the next one. But uh, uh, so that was the database that he, he took. And he found that uh, in, in focusing on humanoid reports, there were certain times of the day that it was more likely to have a humanoid encounter than other times of the day. At noon, at lunchtime, forget it. You're, you're probably not going to see anybody. But between 10 and 2 a.m., 10 p.m. Mm-hmm. and 2 a.m., if, if, if there's things going on in the area, it's not just going to happen anywhere, you would have a better chance of ha- having one of these encounters. And the bizarre thing is that holds true, he says, in every time zone. Mm-hmm. So as the world turns, the point of entry or manifestation, whatever it is, is the same. Mm-hmm. And then he, he talks about humanoid migrations, how uh, eight to ten year cycles, how they seem to show up somewhere in South America, then they move up to North America, either the U.S. or Canada, and then they move over to, not on any particular time scale, but they'll move over to uh, Britain or the European continent, and then Asia or Malaysia, and then back again to South America. And uh, <clears throat> that's... Uh, and there's been like these eight to ten year cycles for what four or five times over the years that he's chronicled, and that is just uh, bizarre. And I, I wonder, you know, remember the old days when uh, you had uh, Gray Barker and Albert Bender talking about how uh, people would be uh, chronicling where UFOs were coming from, and they were always thinking they were coming from Antarctica. And so they would draw these lines, and then the, the men in black would manifest or show up because that was a no-no. Whether there was a guy from New Zealand, that John Stewart, that supposedly had that experience, Albert Bender, and, and so forth. And I, I wonder, you know, it, it would kind of make sense. Maybe it, there's nobody around there to see it, but maybe these things actually start at Antarctica and then move up to South America and then around. So, but but either way, the, uh, you know, if there's a... <clears throat> And I think I know you've been doing some research into that to see if that if, that, if the, those kinds of things are verified, hold true. So that'll be fascinating to see if they that research can be duplicated. But that's so uh, far, that's just amazing. So far, according to Chris, who's the one who's doing all of the coding and uh, working on the the database itself, so far it's it's consistent with what. Um, the author found so i think he's on to something okay so far um also you can trace flap years by uh times when the world itself uh geopolitically is having things happen you know having um uh like when the the berlin wall fell and the Iron Curtain fell. There was a lot of UFOs. And then there was, uh, of course, a lot of UFO sightings in the 40s around World War II. So you can, you can follow those, those times and places, and you will get an uptick in reports. Now I want, what I want to do is... Uh, take the UFO databases from New Fork, MUFON, Flying Saucer Review, and put those in with the the humanoids and see what we get. 
And we're also working on the USGS map of magnetic anomalies just because that, that so far, if, if what I'm seeing by examining it, you know, visibly, you know, without a computer, but, you know, looking at it, just correlating places and dates and times, latitude and longitude, I am seeing a, a correlation. Let's just put it that way. Um, I don't know that it's going to prove causation, but it's it's at least something to show other people where to look and what to look at. Hopefully, yeah, that that's uh, <clears throat> that's kind of beyond me. I think I'm glad you're doing that kind of research. <laughs> um, I, I uh, I've been reading a uh, an old uh, flying saucer review, one of their specials where they talk about landings. And I was reading an article by Jacques Vallée, and I think, well, it's he had written his uh, first two books, Challenge to Science and um, Anatomy of, of a Phenomenon, but he hadn't written Passport to Magonia yet, mm-hmm. because Passport to Magonia has all those landings yeah. at the at the end. Well, that's what I'm reading. He's, he's going through all these landings, about 200 of them, just very briefly mentioned in this article. And it's fascinating because so many of them uh, the the uh, the witness encounters paralysis, mm-hmm. uh, or has some kind of a uh, uh, a, a physical reaction where they, they feel some kind of vibration or whatever. So I'm reading all these one after another, and there's all this repetition of certain kinds of things. And uh, you know sometimes that the paralysis occurs with without you know anything. Oftentimes they aim something at them, and there's actually a beam or whatever. Mm-hmm. But there's there's so many different descriptions of these beings and their behavior and their their craft or whatever. I just you know, I uh, I, I know I mentioned John Keel about every five minutes, and and you know there is a a, a friend of mine, Jeff. He, uh, he he claims they have a drinking game. They'll listen to one of my podcasts and they'll take <laughs> a drink every time I mention John Keel, which means they've passed out in about five or six minutes. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's just it's just fascinating that uh, you get these patterns, but then you don't. Other things don't jive. You know, yeah. you're not getting. You do get the silver coveralls and and picking up. Uh, of flowers and there's one guy speaking of rabbits one one encounter where the guy is paralyzed and these guys run off with his rabbits yeah he steals the rabbits out of the hutch (laughs) i remember that i was like damn what's up with y'all don't be doing that yeah you you guys don't know how to properly take care of these bunny rabbits maybe they're gonna eat them i don't know uh yeah and then there's the weird stories where you know they steal stockings off of Women, yeah. you know, like a woman is carrying her stockings in one hand because she walked across a creek. So she took her shoes and stockings off and, and then she put her shoes on because you don't want to put stockings on on wet legs because then they, they stick and it, it doesn't work. So she's walking and she's minding her own business picking flowers in the mountains of Italy. And these two weird guys in their little egg shaped craft with their silver yeah. suits run over and steal her stockings. I, I love the illustration. Oh, the, I love the, the that old illustration. They look like they're wearing uh, 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 football helmets from the nineteen twenties. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what they look like. And then there's another case with another woman. She was putting laundry out, and they stole laundry. I'm like, 
is are y'all just creepers? What's what's happening? And the only thing I can think of in that period of time is they wanted everybody to think they were from space, but they had no idea how to act like aliens. <laughs> so so they hadn't gotten their like you know behavior down. They hadn't decided right. how they were going to be. It's like you know, the, the, it's like if they were fairies trying to convince people they were from space, but they didn't really know, you know, how to be. They didn't read enough science fiction or something, or they read the wrong science fiction. Almost like men in black not knowing how to act human. Yeah, don't, don't they try to drink jello, you know. And what about the guy, was it John Trasco, where these guys are trying to capture his dog? And we, he says, we, we don't mean no harm. We just want your dog. And he's like, get out. I want my dog. You get, get your own damn dog. <laughs> and that's the thing. Again, there's something about dogs. Something. Now, have there been dogmen sighted with UFOs? Like Bigfoot and UFOs? I, I think uh, there have been, uh, like, like Paul Sinclair would tell you, that There'd be a lot of strange lights or whatever in mm -hmm. the same vicinity. Are they connected? You know, are they are they morphing into these creatures? Nobody has seen that there that I, that that's been reported. Um, so it again the the connection is possible, but maybe tenuous. I I don't know. Yeah. Um, Although but, Lee's uh, case, you know, with his little weird mechanical yeah, no, in, in, in doohickeys, you know, or whatever they are. Right. There, there are, yeah, there is some kind of bizarre technology there. But, uh, and, and again, that intelligence, I'm, I'm assuming that the intelligence behind that is the same intelligence that is cloaking these things. So that would be, that would be really the only example I could probably think of that, uh, where there seems to be some kind of a, a UFO phenomenon, uh, in, in the same vicinity that these things are. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's strange, you know, because he, he he's he's tried to get uh, people from universities and scientists interested in this area. I mean, you have a virtual laboratory there, and I, I was talking to him. You know, Linda started writing about Lee's farm, and uh, at least by uh, Monsters Among Us, maybe even before that. And he, he said that they uh, uh, he was perfectly happy to use his name in the book, but they for some reason the legal people wanted to give him a pseudonym. So he's uh, somebody Smith, I think, in, in Monsters Among Us. And Linda only talks about some of the things that were going on there. Uh, but uh, uh, he, he, uh, he said that it was, for Linda, it was like a, a kid in a candy store. Here she's been writing about this. And just a few miles away from where she's living, here's this virtual laboratory over certain acres where the stuff is actually happening that she can go and, and observe, you know. yeah. And that's that. See, that's that's just perfect timing and placement um, of of you know being in the right place at the right, right time. I just one of the other things that I I you know I noticed about uh, the dog man and the the Bigfoot thing, they're sort of, in my mind, entwined together. Because like you said, you know, we're okay with Bigfoot. Bigfoot we can kind of deal with, but no, 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 no. Walking dogs, tall, six foot, no. We're not having that. Um, I still think that they're they're related in a way. And I was like, you know, I wonder 
if they're a different kind of Bigfoot that just has big ears and a tail, or if it's, uh, you know, a variant just like this is a wilderness being that that guards the wilderness. And so it's big and hairy. That's the two things you have to have. And then the rest of it is just, you know, kind of regional window dressing or something. And I was fascinated when I was looking at um, information about the, the Native American mounds. And I found that there were some skeletons found in the mounds that had artificial extensions on their teeth. So they had teeth ground down so that the bones of a wolf's muzzle with the sharp teeth could be fitted into the mouth. And then the, the, um, the uh, archaeologists and anthropologists thought maybe they wore a hood of a wolf skin of the face over that so that they were portraying wolf spirits or some other kind of spirits. And this is fascinating to me. So I'm like, oh, so wolf shamans. I wonder if Bigfoot has wolf shamans. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, why not? I mean, you know, nobody knows. Nobody knows. So, you know, no. I'm just throwing things out there. Well, I, I guess uh, I, I do think there's a distinction. And, and the one thing is... Uh, I really haven't heard people report the uh, the the negative vibe, the the evil and aspect. The, yeah, with with Bigfoot, and they and it, it's very common. The same with Paul Sinclair in yeah. England, and he even talked about a connection with them in mounds out there too. Sometimes they're seen near mounds. So uh, I, I don't know what that's all about. Of course, uh, if you've ever watched Mountain Monsters, oh, uh, there was oh the God. episode. <laughs> there was the episode where the Chupacabras in West Virginia were teaming up with Bigfoot. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I watched an episode of that with Fox and I was just like shaking my head. I'm like, well, I, I met uh, at the Mothman statue. I met a young lady. I won't say how she was related to John Tice, who played Trapper, but uh, we, we had a good laugh. She said, uh, uh, this person who will remain nameless, they shot everything on the same property, you know, wherever, mm -hmm. wherever oh, yeah. they were supposed to be. Y you can tell that. And it was, I think it was, it was I think it was John's uh, property, in, in fact. And uh, we, we had a good laugh about some of the things like the Pocahontas fire dragon. And, yeah. Uh, anyway. Yeah. And the, Cher the a, Cherokee something cat. There's a Cherokee oh, yeah, death the Cherokee cat. Cherokee devil. Yeah. yeah. Right, right. And, oh, and remember how, now, Mothman, you don't look at his eyes because you'll pass out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, of course, who was it? The buck, buck passed out. But the camera people didn't, which is good. They they must have really been. Their eyes of, were protected by the camera lenses. I, I, I guess That's so. I guess was. that makes sense. But uh, <laughs> anyway, I but I digress. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mountain Monsters is is really, really hilarious to me. Yeah. And uh, well, I I loved it as a as a guilty pleasure, especially when I went off with the bizarre conspiracy stuff. Oh yeah. Know? Yeah. And the, the little girl in the woods and the oh God. I, I you know, they just uh, you know 
they, they pushed the envelope and then they busted it. <laughs> yeah, they just kept going. They just they just kept going. But uh, yeah, I don't. Uh, and the other thing is, you know, when we talk about this uh, bear wolf or whatever it was, I, I can't help but think of uh, uh, Zelia Edgar's book, Just Another Tinfoil Hat Presents, where she, of course, she's Achillean. So she talks about transmogrification, mm -hmm. but she has this great phrase, lost in transmogrification. And also she talks about flops projections and gives examples like perhaps the uh, Enfield Horror in, in uh, Illinois in the 70s, I think. Three legs, uh, arms protruding out of its chest and pink glowing eyes. A couple different people saw this, even shot at it. Uh, so I, I'm wondering if some of these things, this so-called bear wolf or whatever it was, it's just one of those things that got screwed up yeah. in translation somehow. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Because you don't see many of those. You see plenty of Bigfoots. You see plenty of uh, of dogmen or whatever they are. Yeah. But, uh, you know, these... Uh, and then you had the uh, Roro, mm -hmm. <laughs> the Rochelle monster. Yeah. And I always I always say Roro sounds like uh, Scooby-Doo trying to form words. Ruh -ruh. Yeah, there you go. And... Uh, but it was sort of like slowly coming into manifestation. You know, that the bangs in the house, they could smell it. They would even could feel the breath, but nothing was there. And then it finally it showed up not leaving footprints. And I think eventually it did. Yeah. So it was not was not a conventional Bigfoot, could not have been simply a cryptid, an undocumented animal. Yeah. Uh, it was something slowly coming. It's like a textbook case of these things slowly coming into manifestation. And then it would attack a bunch of chickens and, and not eat them. Yeah, because probably it doesn't even have insides. You know, I mean, think about right. it. Do they? Do they have insides? I, we don't I, know. I don't know. I, I, uh, I, I just, uh, but these things have been with us forever, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's part of the human condition. And, um, you know, I get... Uh, I get, you know, I call it the uh, the Red Queen effect. You know, when Alice in Wonderland, when the Red Queen told her, if you're going to get anywhere, you're going to run faster and faster. And Alice runs as fast as she can, and the trees are staying in the same place. Yeah. So that's what it feels like sometimes when we're trying to sift through this. Yeah. And, you know, you, have you ever felt like you've made a couple connections, and you think you're onto something, and then you hit a brick wall, you know? Oh, yeah. It, yeah. I mean, that. I think that that, that happens on purpose. Honestly, I think so, too, that, you know, you think you've got it, you think you've got it, you think you've got it. And then some other evidence or testimony gets thrown in front of you and it's like a mi microphone dropping. Yeah, exactly. It's like the, it just went boom and they were done. And then you sit there and you're just like, why did I why did I waste three years on that? It, and, and Jacques Vallée tells us that the phenomena negates itself. Yes. You know, in, in some cases, it's pretty dramatic where somebody will see something and then you get a knock on the door. You can't talk about this. And sometimes the experience is so bizarre that if they a person tells it, people don't believe it. And it just of shuts course. it right down. Of course. So, and, and, and so many of these things do have that incredible high strangeness aspect to it. I think at this point, I've decided that everybody has some kind of weird thing that has happened to them. And either it was mostly mundane, so they don't think about it as anything weird, or they know it's weird, but they'll never, ever tell anyone. 
Right. And that's part of why I like talking with people who have had experiences. And I'm like, you know, somebody somewhere has seen something weirder than you, but they will never say anything about it. But if they hear your story, maybe they will. Because I think it's a burden on the psyche to keep secrets like that because it makes you feel crazy and it makes you doubt yourself and it makes you doubt what your truth is. So I think it's really important to keep telling these, these experiences, keep telling the stories. Well, I think that's true because a young lady I talked to several years ago, she contacted me on Facebook and, and she and her husband, uh, they were, this is Londonderry, New Hampshire. Uh, they're near an airport, but they're very familiar with the uh, the planes and the lights that go over. And they're standing out early in the morning. It's dark. They're standing on their front porch, and they see these strange lights coming toward them. And then all of a sudden, they're not standing next to each other anymore. It's a little bit lighter out, and they look up, and they see this large black triangle brushing the tops of the trees. And then, as so many people do in these things, they, they didn't register then. They just turned around and went back to bed. Mm -hmm. And then later on, she realized that I, I'm missing time. So she was on a quest. It was really bugging her. She wanted to find out what happened. And so I asked her a series of John Keel questions. It were things I would have, if I was, you know, locked back in the 1960s, I would have said, I, I hope you, uh, you know, uh, find your, what happened during that missing time. I would have known nothing else to ask. And to make the long story short, I found out that, uh, they were experiencing typical haunting phenomena, mm -hmm. uh, some kind of a little bit of electrical phenomena. Mm -hmm. uh, both sons were seeing orbs, some mm -hmm. in the house and some outside the house. Mm -hmm. She had seen a shadow person. Mm -hmm. and, and then finally I said, this is going to sound like a weird question, but have you ever seen any kind of an animal you couldn't identify, like a Bigfoot or whatever? And she said no. And then she said, oh, wait a minute. My mother-in-law and sister-in-law both saw something near the property. And this thing was seen twice. And what they had seen was something like a black panther standing on two legs. So, and and, and she also had, uh, she had a, a UFO, a local UFO group uh, over into her house asking questions and so forth. At the same time, they lived on a cul-de-sac and a black car with its windows blacked out, drove down, went around the cul-de-sac and then drove away. So anyway, I, I if I hadn't... Uh, you know, asked all these questions, those would have been buried. That would have been, you know, not a, uh, not on her. Now, later on, she made a breakthrough and she's very, uh, uh, very rational about it. She said, I don't remember these things consciously. So I take it with a grain of salt, you know. That's good and for it her. Was, though. Uh, it was kind of, you know, she had these, these two pale grays on one side looking at her and blinking and everything really creepy. There was something toward her feet that she couldn't even describe. It was so awful. She said the only thing she could think of was, remember Toy Story with that weird kid that uh, cobbled together all those evil looking? Yeah. She said that's what it made her think of. Ew. But then then off to her right, that she couldn't quite see it, but it was some kind of a female presence, got the sense of something tall and, and like almost like the tall fairy or the tall gray or mm -hmm. whatever. And she's saying things like, you know, you've been through this before. Don't worry. It's going to be all right. And she's got all this crap going on. And uh, anyway, so that's what uh, what came about. But uh, but again, she was one of these people that have had, uh, she and her family have had experiences 
for for years. Yeah, that's and that's that is fairly typical, near as I can tell. Which is why right. I think everybody has something a little weird that's happened, whether they remember it or not. Right. Um, I and I am fully convinced at this point that the world is way weirder than <laughs> yes. you know any of us thought. I think it's way stranger. And the paradox is that uh, that seems to be the natural state of things, that people having these experiences are not weird. They're, mm -hmm. they're kind of a natural part of reality, even though it might be kind of a sub-reality or whatever. Yet, uh, the, the human part of us is desperate to make sense of it. Mm -hmm. But it's always elusive. It's always just out of our grasp. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, a hundred percent. Well, do you have so any? Why do we, what? So why do we torture ourselves like this? Why do we torture ourselves? <laughs> I don't know. I think it's the the eternal quest to understand, to experience, to know, to understand. To I just think we're too left brained. You know, the logic is just really strong and we really want to understand. Right. Whereas the right brain is going, just just let go. Be like Luke Skywalker, let go. Go with your feelings, yeah. you know. Okay. Don't don't think too hard. I'm terrible at not thinking too hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good to see you again. Well, you too. And thank you as always for coming well, to visit my pleasure. with me. It's and uh, if you ever have anything that you, you know, want to ask me, let me know. If you ever need a guest. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. You can always, you can always call on me. I can always right. talk about just about anything. Well, that, that sounds good. I think we should do that relatively soon. Okay, thanks. And have a good holiday. Okay, you too. Well, that's all for this week's episode of the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. If you have any questions or thoughts about the podcast or would like to come and talk about your experiences of the paranormal, you can contact us at 6djk67 at gmail.com. We promise to even answer you, and we are always happy to hear from you. Thank you. <laughs>